The International Criminal Court is the perfect symbol of just how unfair the global political system is today. The European powers that colonized the world and the United States, which has waged wars all across the world, basically live by a separate set of rules. And then they impose another set of rules on the rest of the planet, and they use biased institutions like the International Criminal Court to force other countries to abide by those separate principles. It really is the West versus the rest. The United States is not even a party to the Rome Statute, which established the International Criminal Court. And yet the United States is now praising the International Criminal Court for issuing an arrest warrant against the Russian President Vladimir Putin. Now, the same week that the International Criminal Court, which is led by a British chief prosecutor, the same week that he issued this arrest warrant for Putin, it was the 20th anniversary of the U.S. invasion of Iraq, which even the former U.N. Secretary General Kofi Annan made very clear was a blatant violation of international law. And yet no U.S. government officials have been held to account for the massive crime against humanity they committed in Iraq that led to more than one million Iraqis dying in this war of aggression. And yet the same week, the U.S. government, President Joe Biden, praises the ICC, which the United States is not a member of. Again, I want to stress this. It's not even a member of the ICC. And yet the U.S. praises the ICC for this arrest warrant against Putin. It would be difficult for this to be more hypocritical, considering the fact that as recently as 2020, the U.S. government imposed sanctions on top international criminal court officials, including the former chief prosecutor who is from Gambia. The current chief prosecutor is now a British national and is linked to right-wing politics in Britain. It's even more preposterous when you consider that that same year in 2020, the former CIA director turned Secretary of State Mike Pompeo gave a rant in which he condemned the ICC, which is the, the abbreviation of the International Criminal Court, quote, as a so-called court, which is revealing itself to be a nakedly political body. Again, so this is under three years ago, less than three years ago, the U.S. was attacking the ICC as a so-called court. The U.S. said, we oppose any effort by the ICC to exercise jurisdiction over U.S. personnel. We will not tolerate its inappropriate and unjust attempts to investigate or prosecute Americans. He said, we want to identify those responsible for this partisan investigation and their family members. So the State Department was threatening the family members of ICC officials and the U.S. government referred to the ICC as an embarrassment, saying we are exposing and confronting its abuses. So that's what the U.S. government was saying in 2020. And yet now, because a British prosecutor is in charge who has been biased and is now doing these political cases against Putin, the U.S. is now singing the praises of the International Criminal Court. In fact, Mike Pompeo's successor, the current Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, is pressuring other countries to comply with the ICC arrest warrant against Putin. This is Reuters reporting that U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken urged all members of the International Criminal Court to comply with an arrest warrant that the court issued for Russian President Vladimir Putin. This was on March 22nd. 
two days after the 20th anniversary of the U.S. invasion of Iraq. Again, not a single U.S. official has been held to account for this. I, I need to, again, stress how absurd, how hypocritical it is that the U.S. is not a member of the ICC, and yet the U.S. government is pressuring members to comply with this arrest warrant that the U.S. technically legally doesn't recognize because it's against Putin. Now, it's pretty easy to point out the Donald Trump administration's uh, hypocrisy, but this is also a clear example of the Biden administration's hypocrisy because while Pompeo under Trump is the one who imposed sanctions on the ICC, Blinken removed those sanctions and claimed that the U.S. was going to support the court. And yet in 2021, under the Blinken State Department, under President Biden, the State Department released a statement condemning the ICC investigation into Israeli war crimes committed in the occupied Palestinian territories. And Antony Blinken, he, first of all, he referred to it as the Palestinian situation, which is absolutely absurd. I'll come back to that later, but it shows this euphemism. It's Israeli war crimes committed in occupied Palestine. And in order to, de to de delegitimize the investigation that the ICC had opened into Israeli war crimes, Antony Blinken said, the ICC has no jurisdiction over this matter. Israel is not a party to the ICC and has not consented to the court's jurisdiction. Well, neither is Russia and neither is the United States. So once again, it shows the outrageous hypocrisy where one day the U.S. says, the ICC is bad because we don't like it because it's going after our closest ally, Israel. And the next day it says the ICC is good because now it's going after Russia, even though neither the United States nor Russia nor Israel is a member of the ICC. I'll talk further about this in a second because he also, Anthony Blinken says that that the ICC investigation of Israel is not valid because the Palestinians do not qualify as a sovereign state. So here we have the U.S. also admitting that it doesn't consider Palestine to be an actual state. So it, it just shows the hypocrisy. The U.S. always says one thing and does something completely different. And as if that hypocrisy weren't already enough, in 2002, the U.S. government passed a law that is known as the Hague Invasion Act. And even Human Rights Watch, which is a biased billionaire oligarch funded Western group that's very biased in the interests of the United States and the West, even they admitted in 2002 that this is completely outrageous. They noted that U.S. President George Bush signed into law the American Service Members Protection Act of 2002 which is intended to intimidate countries that ratify the treaty for the International Criminal Court. The new law authorizes the use of military force to liberate any American or a citizen of a U.S. allied country being held by the court, which is located in The Hague. And that's known as the Hague Invasion Clause. And it actually angered the Netherlands, where The Hague is based, which is ostensibly a U.S. ally. So. Not only does the U.S. refuse to become a member of the ICC, but quite literally, the U.S. government says in its law that it reserves the so-called right unilaterally to militarily invade the Netherlands, invade The Hague, and remove not only any U.S. citizen, but an Israeli, a French citizen, a British, 
anyone who the, the U.S. deems to be important to U.S. national security, the U.S. says it's going to invade the International Criminal Court to prevent The Hague from trying from pr prosecuting them for their war crimes. This is the definition of a rogue state. If this is not being a rogue state, no country on earth is a rogue state. The United States frequently claims that Iran and China and Russia and Venezuela are supposedly rogue states, but this is the perfect example of what an actual rogue state is. Now, the cherry on top of this hypocrisy is that the Pentagon, the U.S. Department of Defense, has also been preventing the Biden administration from sharing evidence of supposed Russian atrocities committed in Ukraine with the ICC because, as the New York Times put it, U.S. military leaders fear that they could set a precedent that could wave, pave the way for U.S. war crimes to be prosecuted. So while Biden is publicly praising the ICC and, and Blinken is publicly praising the ICC for the arrest warrant against Putin, the Pentagon is blocking cooperation with the ICC because they don't want to be prosecuted for their own war crimes. One set of rules for the U.S., another set of rules for everyone else. This is the reality of the so-called rules-based order. This is a map of the countries that recognize the International Criminal Court officially. And they did this in 1998 by signing the Rome Statute that established the ICC. You can see the United States originally signed it, but then the George Bush administration removed the U.S. signature. So for 20 years, the U.S. has not been a member of the International Criminal Court. It is not a party. Neither is Russia, neither is India, neither is Saudi Arabia, neither is China. Indonesia is not either. Now, before I move on here, I want to explain something very important that is not often very well conveyed. The International Criminal Court is a very new institution. It was only officially opened in 2002. It's just over 20 years old. And the Rome Statute that laid the foundations is only from 1998. And the International Criminal Court is not a United Nations body. It's very important to emphasize this. The United Nations does have a legal organ, a legal arm, that is the International Court of Justice, the ICJ. What's confusing is both the International Criminal Court, the ICC, which is not a UN body, and the International Court of Justice, the ICJ, which is a UN body. Both of them are based in The Hague, which is Den Haag in the Netherlands, the city. So that's what's confusing about it. When people refer to The Hague, they could mean the ICJ or the ICC. But there is a reason that the ICC was created. One, the ICC is, has basically been a tool of Western governments. And the ICC is used to go after individuals, whereas the ICJ has been uh, used to litigate cases between states. And in 1986, the International Court of Justice, the UN organ, found the US government guilty of violating international law and war crimes for putting mines in Nicaragua's ports and supporting the contra-fascist terror death squads that were backed by the CIA that murdered and tortured civilians, found the United States guilty and said that the United States owes Nicaragua billions of dollars worth of reparations. And yet, what was Washington's response? 
Because the United States is a permanent member of the UN Security Council, the US used its veto to block any enforcement of the ICJ case. So that is to say that because the ICJ, the International Court of Justice, is a UN organ, and because the US is a permanent member of the UN Security Council, which is the enforcement mechanism and has a veto power, the US can block the ICJ if the US doesn't like a case. So the ICC was established as a separate institution because the, the way that the UN Security Council is set up, giving the US, Britain, France, Russia, and China permanent seats and veto power, it basically prevents any major case from the ICJ from going forward. If you know that history of the US government blocking the enforcement of the ICJ ruling in the Nicaragua case in 1986, it makes perfect sense why the International Criminal Court is by many countries in the Global South seen as a completely illegitimate and neo-colonial institution. Now, if you wanna know what the ICC really is, this article from the Los Angeles Times says it very clearly. Only Africans have been tried at the court for the worst crimes on earth. This is from back in 2016. It's slightly changed since then, but basically not really. It's essentially the same. Since the inception of the International Criminal Court in 2002, only Africans have been brought to trial. It's completely ludicrous. How is this legitimate in any way? So if you looked at the cases, which is a small number of cases that the ICC has done since it was officially opened in 2002, almost all of them were against Africans. You would think that the only criminals in the world are Africans. This explains why so many African countries have campaigned against the ICC and have even left the ICC. This is a report in CBC, Mainstream Canadian State Media, in 2016. International Criminal Court faces exodus of African nations over charges of racism. It notes that three African nations wanted to withdraw from the court, alleging that the ICC is racist. And Burundi, Gambia, and South Africa all said that they plan on withdrawing. And they said that the ICC unfairly focuses on Africa. Gambia's information minister said the action is warranted by the fact that the ICC, despite being called the International Criminal Court, is in fact an international Caucasian court for the prosecution and humiliation of people of color, especially Africans. So according to Gambia, the real name of the ICC is the International Caucasian Court. And the article pointed out Critics note that only that nine out of the 10 cases currently under investigation by the ICC are based in Africa. 90% as of 2016 of the cases were against Africans. So it's very easy to see why they were so critical of the ICC. In 2017, in fact, the African Union called on members to have a mass withdrawal from the International Criminal Court. This is the BBC reporting. The African Union has called for the mass withdrawal of member states from the ICC. And some states did it. In 2016, Gambia withdrew from the International Criminal Court. South Africa also withdrew from the ICC, although in 2017, its high court revoked that ruling. It overturned it and prevented it from withdrawing. I want to briefly look here at an article in The Conversation, which is an academic-focused website. And this is by 
Evaristo Beñera, who is a professor at the Department of Political Science at the University of South Africa. And it's called How Colonialism's Legacy Continues to Plague the International Criminal Court. He pointed out that the previous ICC prosecutor, not the current British one, but the previous one, was herself a Gambian, although she was a critic and opposer of the government. Um, her name was Fatou Bensoula. And he pointed out that despite the fact that an African was in charge of the ICC ostensibly, during her tenure, all of the 12 cases that were tried were against Africans. So this is an example of, you know, neoliberals frequently say the solution to systemic racism is putting a, a, a proportionate represent, representation of black people and Latinos and women and et cetera in positions of power, but not fundamentally changing the institutions that exist. Well, here's an example of the International Criminal Court having an African in charge, and yet it continued the very same neo-colonial racist practices of before, because having, you know, faces in high places doesn't change the systemic institutions themselves that are deeply unjust. This professor at the University of South Africa points out that there is a resilience of colonialism that has hampered the ICC. He referred to the court as a colonial project and said it represents the current asymmetrical relationship between the former colonizers and the formerly colonized people, which is a continuation of colonialism executed in other forms. You can call it neocolonialism. And he says the International Criminal Court has simply gone down a neocolonial path and it carefully avoids power politics by navigating around the world's superpowers and their allies and instead only focuses on prosecuting Africans. Although now we see that it's going against the West's big boogeyman, Putin. Well, George Bush is painting in his mansion without suffering any consequences for launching an illegal war that killed more than one million Iraqis. I also want to stress the point again that the former UN Secretary General Kofi Annan said very clearly that the US invasion of Iraq was illegal and violated the UN Charter. So if the UN Security Council was not set up in such an unjust way where the US could block any ruling using its veto power, the US could very well be taken to the International Court of Justice and tried for the war crimes it committed in Iraq. But of course, we know that the US won't be. Well, and now that I've established that the International Criminal Court has a noted history of extreme bias against the Global South and particularly Africa, I also want to look at other comments made by U.S. officials, especially in the Donald Trump administration, where the ICC finally opened an investigation into war crimes committed in Afghanistan. At that time, the war was still going on, the 20-year U.S. war in Afghanistan. And in response to the ICC for the first time ever, opening an investigation into war crimes committed by the U.S. military, the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, went berserk. He was extremely furious. And he said that the ICC think that they ought to be able to haul these young men and women in. We will never let that happen. We're look, working along many fronts to prevent it from happening. So he's saying we'll never allow the ICC to prosecute U.S. soldiers. But this article in Politico points out that it wasn't just the beginning. It wasn't just the Donald Trump administration that began this 
attack against the ICC. The George Bush administration also launched a full frontal attack on the ICC. In 2002, when the Bush administration announced it would withdraw from the Rome Statute that established the ICC, John Bolton, who was a top State Department official, called it, quote, the happiest moment of my government service. And Donald Trump showed how he was supposedly resisting the deep state by bringing on John Bolton to be his national security advisor. John Bolton was one of the main architects of the Iraq war. John Bolton was, he is the Pope of neoconservatism. He is the neocon, the arch neocon. He was part of the project for the new American century. And Donald Trump made him one of the most powerful figures in his government. And under Donald Trump's administration in 2018, John Bolton said, quote, we will not cooperate with the ICC. We will provide no assistance to the ICC. We will not join the ICC. We will let the ICC die on its own. After all, for all intents and purposes, the ICC is already dead to us. And John Bolton, under Trump, he referred to the ICC as a threat to U.S. national security. So that was the government a few years ago. This is the U.S. government today praising the arrest warrant against Putin. So once again, it shows that the United States says there's a set of rules for everyone else and there's a set of rules for us and we make the rules. That's the whole idea of the rules-based order. That's why the United States doesn't talk about international law and the international law-based order. The United States talks about the rules-based order because it's Washington that makes the rules and orders everyone around. Now, earlier I mentioned the Hague Invasion Act in which the U.S. government reserves itself the so-called right to invade the ICC. But that's not the only example of Washington leading a legal and political war against the ICC. The George Bush administration, back in 2002, launched a, a, an attack on the ICC. And even Human Rights Watch, again, despite its bias, acknowledged that the United States government is extending its campaign against the new International Criminal Court. Later on that same year, Human Rights Watch published another report that acknowledges that the U.S. attack on the ICC was rejected at the U.N., noted that U.S. attacks on the new war crimes court, keep in mind that the ICC was only established in 2002, so it's very new. The U.S. attacks on the ICC were rejected again today at the United Nations, but the principle of universal justice is still under serious threat from Washington. The U.N. Security Council rejected a U.S. proposal that would have exempted peacekeepers from the authority of the ICC. So here is even a biased U.S.-based so-called human rights group funded by billionaire oligarchs admitting that the U.S. government was threatening the principle of universal justice. Again, this is what a rogue state looks like. This is the definition of a rogue state. And of course, as with all of the worst crimes committed by the United States, this is completely bipartisan. Now, it was the Trump administration in 2020 that imposed sanctions on the ICC. The Biden administration, when it came in in 2021, rhetorically, for marketing reasons, claimed that it was going to do a 180 and going to support the ICC. And the U.S. lifted 
the sanctions that had been imposed on the ICC and its top prosecutor, Fatou Bensouda. However, Blinken, the head of the State Department under Biden, he made it clear that the U.S. was not actually supporting the ICC. If you read very carefully what he said in his rhetoric, he said that the Trump sanctions were inappropriate and ineffective. He said ineffective. It was not about the fact that it was a blatant violation of every principle that the U.S. claims to support in the so-called rules-based order. Rather, he said it was ineffective. And Blinken said instead, the United States was going to continue to disagree strongly with the ICC's actions relating to Afghanistan and the Palestinian situation and to object to ICC efforts to assert jurisdiction over personnel of non-state parties such as the United States and Israel. So here, Blinken made it clear that even though he was removing the sanctions, the U.S. was still leading a campaign under the Democrats against the ICC, preventing the ICC from prosecuting war crimes that the U.S. committed in Afghanistan and preventing the ICC from prosecuting Israel for the war crimes it committed in the occupied Palestinian territory. So again, this is what Democrats always do. They claim rhetorically on paper to do something. And yet in reality, they're continuing the exact same policies of the neoconservative Republicans like John Bolton and Mike Pompeo in the Trump administration. This brings me back to the statement that I looked at earlier, which was in 2021 in March, right after the Biden administration came in, in which Blinken, the head of the State Department, condemned the ICC for opening an investigation into Israeli war crimes committed in the occupied Palestinian territories. And Blinken said the ICC has no jurisdiction over Israel because Israel, like the US, is not a party to the Rome Statute. And he said, Palestinians do not qualify as a sovereign state. So while the U.S. claims on paper it supports the so-called two-state solution, while the U.S. claims that Palestinians deserve a state, in reality, the U.S. does not actually plan on ever giving the Palestinians a state. Instead, the U.S. is going to perpetually support Israeli colonialism as it takes over more and more Palestinian territory. And the irony is that it's not just the United States, the European Union and the European countries that are members of the ICC, that are parties to the Rome Statute, they also have been blocking for years, they had been blocking Palestinian membership in the International Criminal Court. Human Rights Watch, again, despite its biases, admitted in 2014 that the EU was blocking Palestinian membership in the ICC even while Israel says it does not intend to become a member of the ICC. Human Rights Watch noted that leading EU member states, including the UK, which at that time was still part of the EU, as well as France, have publicly opposed Palestine seeking access to the ICC. And Human Rights Watch wrote that opposing ICC membership for Palestine nurtures impunity and undermines international justice EU countries that pressure Palestine to forego access to the court also violate their commitment as ICC members to support access to the ICC. So it's not just the United States that is insanely hypocritical when it comes to the ICC. It is Europe as well. 
the countries in Europe that are members of the ICC. And when the ICC on the same week of the anniversary of the US invasion of Iraq, when they announced the arrest warrant for Putin, the European Union was ecstatically excited. They were so happy about this. The EU released a statement saying that it welcomes and encourages these efforts to ensure full accountability for war crimes. They say that they express their support for the investigations by the prosecutor of the ICC in Ukraine and calls for full cooperation by all state parties. They see the decision by the ICC as the beginning of a process of accountability and holding Russian leaders to account. So while the EU opposes the ICT taking action against Israeli war crimes against Palestinians, it supports the ICC taking action against Russia. Once again, it's a set of rules for the West and a separate set of rules for everyone else. That is the so-called rules-based order. It is the global North, the imperial powers that colonize the world and wage war across the world. They have one set of rules and the global South, the formerly colonized countries, they have another set of rules. Now, finally, before I conclude here, I want to say a few points about the new leadership at the ICC. The new prosecutor who I mentioned is a British national and he's very biased. And because people might say, well, wait a second, if the ICC is so biased and if it only had tried Africans basically for its entire history of 20 years, why did it open in these investigations into U.S. war crimes committed in Afghanistan and Israeli war crimes committed in occupied Palestinian territory? Well, the reality is that those were some of the few good things that were done under the former prosecutor, Fatou Bensouda, who was the Gambian prosecutor. But what happened in 2021, her nine-year term ended, and she was replaced by a British uh, prosecutor named Kareem Khan, and he's been extremely biased in support of Western governments. And Reuters noted in 2021, right after this new British prosecutor ended, that he is not going to prosecute U.S. military forces over the war crimes they committed in Afghanistan. Reuters note, prosecutors had previously looked into su suspected crimes by U.S. forces and Afghan government troops, but Kareem Khan, this is the new British prosecutor, six months into his nine-year tenure, said they would now deprioritize that element due to a lack of resources and instead focus on the scale and nature of crimes committed within the jurisdiction of the court. And now that's a lie. We know that's a lie because Russia is not a member of the ICC. So this is another blatant example of there's a set of rules for the West and one for everyone else. A British prosecutor at the ICC is, is using those resources to prosecute Russia, which is not a member of the ICC, while refusing to continue the investigation into war crimes committed by the US and Afghanistan that had already started before he even entered. I mean, it's just completely illegitimate. It's so hypocritical. Reuters quoted an Afghan human rights activist, Horia Mossadegh, who was helping victims to support the ICC probe for many years, who called the announcement, quote, an insult to the thousands of other victims of crimes by Afghan government forces and U.S. and NATO forces. In fact, the new British prosecutor of the ICC, Kareem Khan, is so biased that even 
the Jerusalem Post, which is one of the main new, mainstream newspapers in Israel and strongly anti-Palestinian, they praised him because they said that in the year after he took office, this new British ICC prosecutor did not issue a single public statement or take any single public action regarding Israel-Palestine. So previously, the Gambian prosecutor, Fatou Bensouda, had been investigating Israeli war crimes, but not anymore. They're very happy to say that they said many Israeli officials believe that Bensouda would already have taken actions and maybe even have issued arrest warrants had she continued in office past her nine-year term. However, the British prosecutor, Karim Khan, has not taken any actions or even made statements about Israeli war crimes. And by the way, I should point out that the new British prosecutor of the ICC is the brother of a right-wing British politician named Imran Ahmad Khan, of course, of no relation whatsoever to the Pakistani prime minister who's overthrown in a Western-backed coup, Imran Khan. Khan is, of course, a very common last name. But anyway, the point is that this brother, this former conservative party member and member of parliament, Imran Ahmad Khan, he was sentenced to 18 months in prison in Britain over the sexual assault of a 15-year-old boy. So this is the brother of the current prosecutor of the International Criminal Court who dropped the investigation into U.S. war crimes in Afghanistan and has dropped the investigation into Israeli war crimes in occupied Palestinian territory. I mean, this just speaks for itself. And briefly, while we're on the subject of Israel and the ICC, in response to the ICC's opening of an investigation into Israeli war crimes committed, the far-right Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in 2019, he accused the ICC of anti-Semitism, which again shows that anytime Israel faces consequence, or it never faces consequences, faces criticism over the war crimes in apartheid that it commits against the Palestinian people and the colonialism and ethnic cleansing and racism, it always accuses the other party of anti-Semitism, including and up to the International Criminal Court. It's a completely ridiculous smear. And it also is, it cheapens and downplays the very real anti-Semitism that does exist. But Israel doesn't care about that. Now, as I wrap up, I want to look at one final report that shows what the U.S. government actually does on the world stage, which is mafia behavior. The United States acts as a rogue state, as a mafia don that, that threatens and bullies countries around the world and attacks multilateral institutions when it doesn't serve its interests and then claims to support those institutions when it does serve its interests. And the clearest example of that is not just with the hypocrisy over the ICC, but with another multilateral organization, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. And The Intercept published a report in 2018 titled, We Know Where Your Kids Live, How John Bolton Once, th once Threatened an International Official. And this article includes quotes from Jose Bustani, who is a Brazilian diplomat who previously was the head of the OPCW. And in 2002, a year before the invasion of Iraq, the Bush administration was putting intense pressure on Bustani to quit 
as director general of the OPCW. Why is that? Because he negotiated with Iraq to allow OPCW weapons inspectors to make unannounced visits to the country, thereby undermining Washington's rationale for the regime change war. And in response, John Bolton, who was then working in the Bush administration before later coming back in the Trump administration, John Bolton called Bustani on his phone and said Dick Cheney, who was then Secretary of State, and he was a former uh, general, top Pentagon official, Dick Cheney wanted Bustani to resign. And the U.S. says, we can't accept your management style. And then the U.S. government threatened him. He said, quote, you have 24 hours to leave the organization. And if you don't comply with this decision by Washington, we have ways to retaliate against you. We know where your kids live. You have two sons in New York. So this is how the U.S. behaves on the international stage. This is the behavior of a rogue regime, of a mafia don. It violates international law on a daily basis. It threatens countries that don't go along with its bullying. It threatens international institutions that don't follow its orders. It refuses to become part of the International Criminal Court. It refuses to sign the Rome Statute and yet pressures other members of the ICC to arrest Putin, which Russia is not a member of the ICC either, but the U.S. wants the ICC to prosecute Russia. And yet at the same time, the ICC says, the U.S. says that the ICC cannot prosecute U.S. officials or Israeli officials because they're not parties. They're not members of the Rome Statute. The hypocrisy is impossible to overstate. This is the reality of the so-called rules-based order. The United States makes the rules and orders everyone around. It is a global dictatorship. The U.S. loves to portray itself as the protector of democracy and, and, and its adversaries as so-called autocracies or dictatorships. But what the U.S. has, what it wants to protect, although it's over, the unipolar imperialist order that it created after the overthrow of the Soviet Union in 1991, was a global dictatorship in which the U.S. told every country on earth to follow its orders. And if it didn't, the U.S. would invade them, impose sanctions on them, organize regime change operations through the CIA, uh, or support so-called color revolutions by funding opposition groups and media outlets to spread propaganda and fake news. It was a global dictatorship. And that's why the U.S. is now so desperate to prevent the emergence of a multipolar world. That's why the U.S. is waging a new Cold War on both Russia and China, trying to overthrow their governments, trying to organize regime change to maintain its unipolar imperialist order, which is really a global dictatorship. So the U.S. can use institutions like the ICC when it serves its interests and attack them when they no longer serve its interests. With that said, I'm going to conclude here. I'm Ben Norton. This is Geopolitical Economy Report. If you like the work that we do here, please go to geopoliticaleconomy.com support. And you can also become a patron over at patreon.com geopoliticaleconomy. Any support you could provide would go a long way. We are completely independent and have no big institutional donors. I want to thank everyone for watching or listening. These episodes are available as both a video and a podcast. If you're watching or listening, please subscribe, whether it's YouTube or SoundCloud or whatever 
platform and you can get notifications for the next episode, which will be out soon. Thanks a lot. I'll see you next time.